Week 6 of 60 Weeks, 60 Books. This week, Enid Blyton, sexist, racist, xenophobic and generally slapdash and sloppy writer, is my focus. This isn't exactly a defence, but it is an argument for letting all children read whatever they please in terms of the quality of the books that they tackle. My father must have been to Hatchards. There on the table were four of the adventure series of books by Enid Blyton. I can't remember exactly which four, as I remember reading three frequently. The Castle of Adventure, The Valley of Adventure and The Mountain of Adventure. Looking at the synopses for the other five books, I have a feeling I must have read them all, but those three are the ones I reread often as a child and now vaguely remember as an adult. Although I later did read some of the famous five books, nothing really replaced for me the charms of Philip, the animal whisperer, Jack, the bird botherer, and their little sisters Dinah, always wrangling with Philip, and Lucianne, the youngest, who hero worships her big brother Jack. The girls are 11 and 12, the boys around 13 or 14, mostly at boarding school, but absolutely loving their holidays together. I thought the boys were far more interesting than Julian and Dick of the famous five, who I found condescending and bumptious. The girls are somewhat less put upon than poor Anne, who I remember perpetually sorting out cooking and bedding and washing up. I do miss George, the perpetual tomboy, and of course, Timmy the dog, but Philip's shifting menagerie of small animals and Jack's close companion, Kiki the parrot, make up for the lack of gutsy girls. The Castle of Adventure absolutely repaid my rereading. It is in equal measure thrilling and shonky in terms of plot, characterisation and any degree of subtext. Blyton doesn't waste her time on anything much other than showing her heroic quartet, making their own decisions, taking risks, poking about dangerous ruins, taking planks to make a dodgy bridge from rocks to the castle itself, admiring eagles, eavesdropping on evildoers and, of course, eating mountains of sandwiches and cake and drinking lashings of ginger beer. I recognise now the same formula that worked so utterly effectively for other brain gum reads, notably Mills and Boons, of which more in a couple of months. Blyton achieves an addictive rush in her books. You know what you are getting. The books do what they say on the tin. In the case of the castle of an adventure, there is going to be a castle, there is going to be adventure, and you are going to be swept away by it all, just as, uh, spoiler alert, the castle is swept away in the denouement. There will be villains with big beards and scars and foreign accents, thuggish customers, in this case wicked spying enemies from a foreign power intent on stealing British military secrets. Adults will be distant and either vaguely helpful in the provision of food mainly, or utterly uninterested in the children, apart from sensible Bill Cunningham, who is extremely pleased to meet up once more with our fearless foursome after their first encounter on the island of adventure. My husband has a much deeper acquaintance with the Blyton oeuvre because his mother took out Blyton books for all ages from the local library, despite the librarian's disapproval of Enid and all her works. 
He was familiar with the books for the youngest readers. Noddy, Binkle and Flip, The Faraway Tree, Bimbo and Topsy, The Basketful of Surprises and The Secret Seven, none of which I have ever read. I think I tasted a Secret Seven book, but that was it. I suspect that my father had been introduced to the adventure series as a child, for most were written in the 1940s when he was a boy, and that is why they were allowed into my library. Her other books were a mystery to me. Later, at boarding school, there was a time when we passed round the Mallory Towers and St Clair's books as 12 and 13 year olds, wondering how it was that we never seemed to have such marvellous food or so many midnight feasts. Of course we knew the stories were ridiculous and bore little resemblance to our rather humdrum and routine lives, but they were wonderful escapism. And in the midst of stressing about exams and who was no longer speaking to whom, welcome relief from the horrors of being 12, 13 and 14. The thing that strikes me now is how Blyton's children are by and large everything that parents and society now tell us they wish children to be but do everything they can in their power to stop them from actually becoming. We're told that children should be independent, inventive, resilient, determined, gritty. These children plot and they plan and even better, they execute their plans. Jack and Lucianne, in the fine tradition of children's literature, are orphans. Philip and Dinah have a jolly decent mother, Aunt Ally, and a late, apparently not much lamented father, Aunt Ally more or less adopts Jack and Lucianne and later marries Bill Cunningham, who takes them all on with some enthusiasm. She is very much a light-touch mother. At one stage in the Castle of Adventure, she leaves to visit her sister and the children take the opportunity to hop off and camp in the castle, the very castle which it later turns out is so structurally unsound that a big thunderstorm leads to much of it collapsing. The children really do think. They reflect on how they're going to get into places they shouldn't be going and how they're going to get out of various pickles that they have gotten themselves into. They climb into suits of armour and hide under beds for hours without sneezing or wriggling. However, they really don't have much inner life. No stress, no anxiety, no uncertainty. They are frightened, naturally enough, when confronted by a nasty piece of work with a big beard or a scar but they are never hysterical or witless. I think that this is what all the adults who looked down on Blyton over the years failed to understand. We loved Enid Blyton, even though she was definitely sexist, racist, xenophobic, even though her writing style is simplistic and cliche-ridden, even though she was, like many a writer, composer or artist, not exactly the most lovable individual or personality. But she wrote about the children that we wanted to be. Children with guts, with gumption, with plots, plans and oodles of curiosity. They had such freedom. The freedom from tiresome restrictions imposed on us by adults. The freedom to get into scrapes and make mistakes, along with companionship, laughter And as Miss Prism, Oscar Wilde's scatty governess, reminds us, the good end happily and the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. Blyton was the past mistress of popular fiction for young readers. Her books are fast, 
and furious. Easy reading, swiftly digested, and as satisfying and empty as a Knickerbocker glory. And no, reading them is not going to turn any child into some rabidly prejudiced extremist with terrible views about foreigners and women. When it comes to reading rubbish, we really do need to trust children to distinguish good from bad and entertaining nonsense from true quality. So long live Enid Blyton, long live the adventure series, and long live Jack, Philip, Lucianne, Dinah, and of course, Kiki the parrot. Next week, I'll be taking a look at the first Shakespeare play that I ever saw. The first Shakespeare play of this series, there will certainly be more. It was quite hard to limit uh, just to six of Shakespeare's plays when it came to selecting the right ones to have a think about. This one is a comedy with shipwrecks and cross-dressing heroines. Join me for an explanation of just how Twelfth Night managed to captivate a very small girl threatened with dire consequences if she so much dared as squeak during the performance. See you next week. Thank you.